Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the last week we, we talked in this chapter last week and shared a little bit uh, about faith because chapter 11 is about the Old Testament saints who didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit as you and I have didn't have the grace of God through Jesus Christ that you and I have, but through a system of religious activity uh, and a heart for God, they believed God's word, they believed his command when the Spirit of God would come upon them and share with them things, they would believe the things that God had said, and some of them believed even having not held that promise, uh, they, some of them, uh, they, they, they did mighty exploits. You know, they built boat, boats in deserts when it hadn't rained and uh, saved a nation, saved a family, and repopulated the earth. Some of them, you know, you just, you just go down the list. And, and there were some mighty, mighty exploits that happened uh, with the saints of old. Uh, Enoch, you know, he walked right into heaven. Abel offered a great sacrifice. Uh, Noah, you know, he built the boat. Abraham was the father of faith. And you could just go on and on and on. And at the end of it all, though, some of them knew that there was a promise of a Messiah and was holding to that promise, but their life ended before they saw the Messiah. Now, fast forward, you and I are living now 2,000 years on the other side, on the other side of the promise of the Messiah. You and I have intimate knowledge of him. You and I walk with him. We talk with him. We converse with him. He speaks to us, and we speak to him. He directs our life. We, we, we aren't walking around as blindly as the, uh, the patriarchs of old did. And yet, sometimes I wonder if we will, if we will be able to work the exploits that we need to work or will we allow the world, because of the grace of God, will we allow the world to, to overtake us and, and not carry out our mission as a whole? I've had that thought in my mind for a few years. But now there's an assurance in my heart that God, in over the last 10 years, God has been speaking to me in such a way that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the church of Jesus Christ is about to see its finest hour. Yes. Yeah, in my lifetime, I watched the church lose ground. In my lifetime, I've watched the church go backwards. I've watched us compromise over a myriad of issues that should have never been compromised on. I've seen because of the decline of the church, our nation lose its footing and lose its standing in the world and on the world platform as a great nation. We are now a despised nation. 
because when you don't make it plain and strong and sure of what you believe and why you believe it and stand up with those principles and hold to those principles, when you start compromising, it begins chipping away and the enemy starts taking ground. And the place where we once held in high esteem the word of God in, in our judicial halls of America where once his name was trumpeted in the schoolhouse, where once his name was the, the uh, stalwart or the, the stronghold of our nation, we now have tried to declare, we had one president, one past president, get up and to declare that we are a post-Christian nation after Christianity. I beg your pardon, sir. We are not a post-Christian nation. You for forgot about the remnant, and we're on the rise. We're not here to play around. We're not here to cover up. We're not here to patty cake. We're not here to make excuses because you want to keep doing your little something-something on the side. We are here to preach the un the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ. I know I sound probably just a little bit uh, edgy, a little bit angry up here. That is not my heart at all. My heart is for you. I love you. I want you to cross the finish line. Uh, but I've got something. I've got a boldness in me because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within me that I'm not going to mince words. I'm going to tell you how it is. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Most of you know me as about a half comedian, but boy, today, I don't know. We're going to be a barn burner today. I'm going to read out of the King James, so it has the these and the thous. Now faith. Now, last week we talked about this. That word now just means pay attention. We, we try to equate it into other things. It means right now in this present moment, right now in this present moment, pay attention. Pay attention in this present moment. Because now faith, pay attention, faith is. Faith exists. Faith is here. God gave every man the measure of faith, and it is through faith that we do the mighty exploits of God. It is through faith that these people's name uh, lie in this chapter. I, I, I encourage everyone in this place to go read that chapter. It will build your faith at what God has done with these people and with these uh, men of old and men of renown and women of renown. Now faith is, it exists, and the faith that is, is the substance. It is something tangible. It's an assurance. It's a confirmation. It's a title deed of things that we hope for and the proof of things not seen. In other words, it is an intangible, it is an intangible it is something you cannot touch, yet it is as real as the building you're setting in. It is an intangible. It comes from the Spirit of God. God is a spirit, and you have a spirit. You are created body, soul, and spirit, and it's out of your spirit that faith is birthed. God has given you the measure of faith in your human spirit 
so that you can get your mind, will, and emotions, your soul, lined up with his purposes. Faith is an intangible, spoken in spirit, believed in spirit. When I speak his word, when I speak his word over a subject, the same spirit that released it is released through you or me. And when you open your mouth, believe it or not, you're mimicking your God. And when you mimic your God, he answers because he's proud of you. And when we speak by faith, the intangible, unplausible thing happens because we released it and then we wouldn't be talked out of it. That's what's beautiful about this passage is the saints of old knew there was a Messiah coming and they didn't live to see it, but no one could steal it from them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get in trouble. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. If you want to make God's heart shine, oh, stand in faith, speak his word. Speak his word into a circumstance that you are dealing with. Speak his word into your body. Speak his word into your circumstances. Speak his word into your children. Speak his word into your business. Speak his word into your circumstance. Whatever you feel like is on top of you, you tell it to just move over because you're climbing on top by faith. Golly. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, when Elohim, God, in the beginning, Elohim is a plural word. It means when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, came together and spoke the worlds into existence. Their faith produced what we are living in simply because they willed it to be. That's my God. That's my God. He can make something out of nothing. He can make something out of nothing. I know that ain't good English, but it sure feels good. He can make something out of nothing. He can make it appear. And because you're created like him, 
He'll put visions in your heart. For when the triune God came together in absolute agreement, they had a vision, they had a dream, and they made it come to pass. And you and I are part of God's dream. Think about that. You're part of God's dream. He did not want to do this without you. My little peanut brain can't hardly get that. I know how much of a jacked up mess I am, even with Jesus. But God isn't willing to carry out his mission without you. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, I told you I was important. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. If you want to frame a good life for yourself, mimic God and begin to speak his word over the areas of your life that need direction the most. Begin to speak his word because his word will frame your world. That's how a little fledgling church with one congregate left can buy an old car dealership and move into it and dare to have church in the mechanics rack. <laughs> there's enough oil probably been on this floor. It's probably just anointed just because there's been so much oil on the floor. It's a repair shop. We just went from repairing cars to repairing souls. <laughs> mm, leave me alone. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You mean, you mean some of us can maybe do better than others? Well, only if the other person isn't willing to do it God's way. Otherwise, we're on the same playing field. There ain't no other way to say it. God doesn't love one person more than the other. He's not a respecter of persons. But he, he rewards those. He rewards those who obey him. Mm. Leave me alone, people. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. Faith equates to righteousness. And God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaketh. In other words, even though he's gone, his actions live on as a testament of his faith. By faith, Enoch was translated. I love this one. I would just love to walk with Jesus and just walk right into heaven. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death 
and was not found because God had translated him. For before, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Why? He lived by faith. Faith pleases God. Look at your neighbor and say, I told you, faith pleases God. Which brings us to verse 6. I've been trying to get here, but you won't let me get there. But without faith, please God. But without faith, nobody wants to hear this part. It is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. In other words, he exists. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you know, right after that phrase, it goes right into talking about Noah. Who had more diligence than Noah? Over a hundred years building on a boat for a rain that's supposed to come that's never happened. But his faith was rewarded. His faith was rewarded. I'm sure he was thankful he had listened to God. I'm sure his obstinate family members was thankful he listened to God. So let's go back to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now faith, verse 1, is the answer to all of your unrealized thoughts and dreams. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask him to do. That's our God. Our God will take you in the most impossible season of your life when everyone else is going backwards and make you go forward. When the economy crashes around you, God will make you prosper. When it doesn't make business sense on paper, God will say, buy a new building. When it makes no sense, he'll tell you to expand to move forward, to take risk. <laughs> but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that haphazardly, half-heartedly, once in a while, seek him. Kind of once in a while, when it feels good, seek him. Oh, that isn't how yours reads? Oh. He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. It would behoove us to know what diligently means. The word diligently in the uh, Greek is the word ekzateo. I'm not a Greek scholar. That's the best I can pronounce it. Ekzateo. 
And exateo is a compound word, two words meshed together to make something make sense. This word diligently, exateo, is first ek. Ek. Sounds like your cat when you are in the night. Ek. 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 <laughs> I'll quit right there. Comedy came back. Ek. Ek means movement. Ek means to move. It means action. So God is saying if you're going to seek me, there's a correlating action and movement if you're truly seeking me. It's not lip service. It's, it's empowered action because we know that faith has to have works in order to complete. There is a work, a correlating action. I'm not saying that you have to trump up something, make up something, but, but if you're going to have faith, you have to stand on what God has said and not be moved from it. Whew, I don't know if this is working as good for you as it is for me, but my inside's going, come on. The second part of that word is zateo, zateo. Ek is movement or action. Zateo means to, oh, nah, you can't. You can't do it. You'll never make it. You won't be able to do it. I'll just stop. No, I won't. <laughs> zateo. Get this. We're going to diligently seek God. Who wants to diligently seek God? Who wants to get in the movement of seeking God? I want to do something. I'm going to do something. Zateo means to. Zateo means to worship. Who I felt that. When I said that, doodads jumped on my doodads. Mm. So I'm going to get into action to worship. Now there's a little more to this word zateo. To worship, to desire, to endeavor, to inquire. In other words, what it means is to move into the action of a relationship with God. Whew. We're talking about diligent believers. People who, who trust God, hear his word, apply it, and get in faith. And if I'm in faith, I'm going to ek, ek, exateo. 
I'm going to get into the action of worshiping, inquiring, knowing him, learning of him, being like him, doing everything I can to be pleasing to him so that my life is pleasing, so that I can be used at any given moment in my life to help somebody else because I understand what faith is like. I understand how faith works. I understand that my encounter with someone else can give them an encounter with God because of the God that the Old Testament saints could only know from a distance I know intimately and personally because he's moved onto the inside of me when I changed my mind and said yes to him he said I've been waiting for you boy I've been waiting for you I've been standing on the road waiting for you and now that you're home let's get this thing let's get this party started let's change the world Now, that's only one word that I need to focus on in chapter 6. By faith, by, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you don't worship him, if you don't magnify him, if you don't glorify him, if you don't live after him, if you don't sell out, if you don't get to the all-out sellout, you will not please God. Well, there goes my paycheck. <laughs> Pastors won't tell you this no more. We make it, <laughs> we make it that it's all about you. And God is your big, your, well, I, we can't even do this anymore. God is your big genie. What's your wish today? What's your wish? Listen, he's not moved by my wishes and whims. If I want a prosperous life in the here and now, I got to do it his way because I became a citizen of his kingdom. He's the king. He's the king of kings. And Jesus came and displayed for us how the second man, Adam, how the first man, Adam, was supposed to have lived through the second man, Adam. And he's given you and I the ability to have that intimate personal relationship with God so that everything we do equates our faith back to the one who breathed faith into us in the initial breath of life. We're not done. I know you wish we were, but we're not done. And I'm going to have to really fly. <laughs> Knowing the way I preach, right? They're giving me all kinds of extra time. You folks would be like, what? Shut up up there. Okay, so the word tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, we've already talked about what diligent means, but guess what rewarder means? Rewarder is the word misthopodets. 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 
Sounds like I have a speech impediment, and I'm trying to tell you about my first grade teacher. Miss Thapodets. This is a compound word as well. <laughs> and it starts with the word misthu. Misthu. And misthu means, how do I say this? Misthu means you're hired. Misthu means a wage, a dividend, something tangible. Look at this. If you diligently, if you put into action the worship, the desire, the endeavor for the all-out sellout, God will hire you and give you wages. The second part of that word, that was just misthu. Misthu means to be hired. The second part of that word is apodo, apodiomai. 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 Which means to deliver, to give, to repay, to perform, to recompense, to render to yield, to reward. God is saying to the faithful, if you'll sell out, if you'll give me your all, if you'll be mine and I am yours, if you will live intimately with me, if you will worship me and no other, if you'll keep me foremost, your life will be filled with reward. Your life will be filled with rescue. Your life will be filled with supernatural means in times that make no sense to anyone else, you'll be setting free. When the world is failing, you'll be prospering because I'm rewarding you because your heart is mine. Mm -hmm. Is that working for you? So it pays to keep your faith in active pursuit of God. How many have ever had an unexplainable rescue? You know why? Because you put into action your faith. Pastor Colleen and I, for a long period of our, our, our first years of being married, I had gotten sued by someone, and they won their case against me. And by law, they were allowed to take 55% of my pay. Pastor Colleen was working a little on the side. So we were dependent on my income. I was making the astronomical amount of $6 an hour. And then they took 55% of that. I was bringing home 
and 85 cents, I think it was, to raise a family of three. We lived with, uh, on the same land as Gordon and Loretta. They had a trailer, and we rented that from them. And every month when I wrote that check, I had, I had such a wonderful disposition, and my heart was so right, and I was, just couldn't wait to write that check out and send it because it was just, oh, how wonderful. I gotta be <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, it took me a while to get my heart right. Because every time I wrote that check, every day I fall down the stairs from there. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. But there came a point when I realized my heart is wrong. This person won this in a court of law, it was it was upheld. No matter how much distress it caused my family, that was what was deemed lawful. And when I stopped grumbling, and Pastor Colleen and I would write the check, and then we would hold it and pray. I'm talking about putting action to your faith. Do you know we never, ever, even when I was grumbling, ever went without. It didn't line up on paper, and I still paid my tithe. <laughs> because God's promises are true. And his word is everlasting. And it'll never return void. And so what I shared, I keep looking at, and I, it's three freckles from a. So God will reward you if you can just keep your faith intact. That brings me to the latter part of what I want to do. It's only 27 pages. Hang on. We are entering right now. In fact, we already did. We entered Friday night. We entered into Rosh Hashanah. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot in, in a Gentile world. But in the Jewish world, it means we've entered into a new year. We're behind. Our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, is behind the Jewish calendar. They've already entered into 2023. For them, it's 5783. 5783. I'm not going to get into a lot of deep theological stuff there. But we're in we're, we're we're technically in a new year already. Because we've been engrafted. We've been engrafted. We may not we may eat pork, but we're engrafted. We may do some un-Jewish things, but we've been engrafted. We're the wild olive root. That's it. Come on. That's what the word says. Like, come on over here, bacon breath. Let's let's pray. (laughs) 
But we have entered into this new year, and every year has a prophetic touch, a prophetic meaning, a prophetic purpose. And I won't get into all that because there's a lot more to unlock there, and I don't want to give you half-truth because that wouldn't be fair to you or me. But I've been listening to the prophets. They direct the church. I've even listened to, to Jewish prophets. I've been listening. On one hand, the year 83 is a very exciting year. It's a year of payoff. It's a year of good stuff. It's a Shemitah year. There's good things about this year coming. But in America, the prophets are talking about some darkness that will happen over the course of the next few months. Many say it will be short-lived. Many say God's got this. Others say the church needs to step up and we need to take prayer serious. I think the latter is probably a safe bet, wouldn't you? So here's some of the things that are being said, and I'll try to make this quick. There may be a financial crisis. We know the stock market's bouncing around. We know there's craziness going on. There may be a health crisis. There may be power outages. There may even be a military strike against us. We don't know. God's not giving deep detail. He's just saying something's coming. Some of the prophets feel like we're going to enter into a national emergency. Is this okay if I share this with you? I'm not, this is not to bring fear. If you get fear out of what I'm about to say, you missed the whole point today. There are some are saying that there's a national emergency that's looming. Rather, rather it will be declared a national emergency or it just happens we're going to be in one. I can kind of fathom that after 2020, can't you? A national emergency is when the U.S. government is in an extraordinary situation deemed by the President of the United States to threaten the health or safety of citizens which cannot be adequately addressed by the application of other laws or executive orders. And during a national emergency, over 130 special powers are granted to the President of the United States. All opinions will remain inside. Hopefully. What that tells me is that there, we're being set up possibly for a power grab from our own government against its citizens. I know this is going to get me in trouble, kicked off of platforms. I don't care. You're my responsibility. Our military recruitment right, down, right now is down 45%. Nobody wants to be in the military. I understand why. Inflation is at a 40-year high. We are entering probably a housing bubble, and there's probably a crisis looming. 
financially around us. Our power grid is outdated and under-equipped for this new green agenda and all of the electrical vehicles and things that we want to plug into the power grid. Possibly there will be an invasion of natural disasters. Some of the prophets are saying there will be earthquakes like no other. Possibly this could be a combination of all of these things. A national emergency will warrant a response from the true church of Jesus Christ. As the president is granted special powers, I also have heard from others that they believe that Acts 19, the 11th verse and the 12th verse will come to pass for the church because as the president is granted special powers, I believe the church of Jesus Christ will be granted special powers. Mm. In that verse, it says that God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul so that from his body was brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons and diseases departed from them, and evil spirits departed from them. And this was granted to Paul in a time of emergency. He couldn't get from where he was to where the sick people were, so he would just wear on his person pieces of cloth. It would be dispensed, and people that he could not touch, could not pray for, could not get to, were being delivered. And I believe that if we're going to be in a place where the, where, where, where the power of man is going to try to subjugate or negate our freedoms, I believe God's going to allow the church to arise if we won't shrink back. We must arise in the day and the time and the hour in which we live. I honestly believe that the church will be granted special endowments of power to work signs and wonders during the time of national crisis. You say, why would you say national crisis? Well, let me explain to you. In 2001, 9-11 did nothing to bring people to the church of Jesus Christ. They flooded in for two weeks and now they went because the church wasn't equipped and the church wasn't ready for a national emergency. Is this too hard? And then 2019 comes along, and 2020, and we are hit with a global emergency. And where was the church? Come on. Because... Because we didn't stand up before, they used their exercise of power to try to shut the church down globally. I remember when we were having parking lot church, and one of my friends who's a highway patrolman pulled on the lot with his car. I saw panic run through the parking lot. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this will happen again. They think they have the power now to shut us down. And there's training going on in our higher institutions of learning, teaching our young adults how to, how to combat the church through verbal argument and through, through um, litigation to shut down the church, to take our voice, to shut us up. The enemy wants to yoke the church by yoking the nation. But God will send his special anointing to break that yoke from the church and then the nation. I believe that with everything in my heart. God is going to set America free. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it, and here's why I believe it. Because the church handed over our God and allowed them to take his name out of all of society. The only place they haven't expunged it, as Jason Bates told you this morning, was from our money, but they're trying. I don't know if you've even noticed the new quarters now have President Washington facing away from the words in God we trust. It's subtle, but they're preparing us. In doing so, we've allowed the major strongholds of the Old Testament gods and idols to come into our nation. Because of that, we're going to have to eradicate those doors that have been opened. We're sacrificing more children than probably any other society. God has turned that around now. That is the first sign that God is on the move to turn things around in America. But he's going to need a church who won't shrink back in the time of national emergency who will stand up and say, not on my watch, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm not trying to evoke fear. I'm trying to challenge you to faith. This could be the church's finest hour. Mm -hmm. How can we prepare? Well, if we use the, the Gregorian calendar, the word, the, the number is 23. 23 is associated with death, separation, sanctification, and transformation. So you thought I was being negative. What's, what's it saying to us? What's it saying to the church? Here's what it's saying. We must die to self. We must let our flesh finally fall in the grave with Jesus. Death means separation, not the cessation of life. It means to be separated. Separated. Separation from self and self-desire. A dying to self to dedicate to God. We must come back 
to selfless gospel. We must come back to our first love. I'm talking about helping you in the day of national emergency. When I say you, I'm pointing at me. We must refocus on the will and the intent of God. We must have a separation from the profane and the unholy because the word declares us sanctified, which means made holy, made like God. It's time to live like we have been separated from sin and stop making excuses for it. I'm talking about putting the church in right order. It is time for transformation by the renewing of the mind, the will, and the emotions to have the mind of Christ and the walk of Christ. It is time for a sellout to the bone. It is time to kill the old, unregenerated self. You are dead to sin. Stop digging up the old dead man and start living like a saint. What can we do to prepare for a national crisis? Are you ready? Number one, we must go back to intercession. The church has lost the power to intercede. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, well, that's not my gifting. Oh, baby, 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 shut up. It is to your position God called all of us to intercede and to pray and to lay on our face and to cry out his name. God called us to be active pursuers, to put into action our worship and our faith of him, to lay on our face and call upon his name and have relationship for him, for the direction that we need, for the day in which we live, for the people around us that we're supposed to reach. So the first thing we must do is get back to James 5.16. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One more Greek lesson. That word right there, it says effectual and fervent. Effectual and fervent. In the original rendering of this statement, that word effectual and that word fervent is the same Greek word spoken twice, yet there's two different English words for us to try to get an understanding of what it is that the writer is saying to us. That word is in our gale. In our gale. Now listen. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, avail, that means, that means brings about much causes things to change, frames worlds, causes shift, causes things that are being built to be torn down and things that haven't been built to be built. That word in our gale simply is where we get the word energy. So the apostle, when he's writing, he's saying, 
the energized, the energized, the energized, the energized prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Who do you think energizes prayer? You bring your will into the Father. You lay upon your face and the Holy Ghost on the inside of you knows that you're wanting uh, audience with your Father and he grants to you an audience with your Father by energizing you with the power to communicate to your heavenly Father. He lights you up. He gives you strength, white, hot passion. But that doesn't mean emotionalism. Faith is not emotion. Faith is stalwart belief. I'm not going to lay down here and kick and scream and moan and spit and snot on the carpet to try to get God to move. Now I'm going to come in and I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to implore him. I'm going to magnify him. I'm going to look under him. I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to put action to my faith. And when I do, he's going to reward me. He's going to pay me because he's got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And at the moment's notice, the Holy Spirit will recognize the want to and the desire in me to be in the presence of my Father. And he will light me up so that I'm illuminated to the Father and can commune with God one-on-one. -on -one. Goodness gracious, people, what is wrong with this pastor? He is long-winded. So what can we do? First, we must get back to real intercession. Second of all, how to prepare for a national crisis, crisis store up. Now, someone went, oh, stop it. That's not what we're saying. I didn't say run out and clean out the, the grocery stores. I didn't say that. But I'm going to ride for church. It's a joke. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. No, we need to store up both earthly and heavenly treasure. If you don't have a savings, get one. If you don't have money set aside, get money set aside. I'm helping you. National crisis. Nothing wrong with having extra food on your shelf. But don't go out and hoard it up and leave us all without toilet paper again. That was, that was bad. That was bad. That was not good. Now, get you some savings. Get you some money. But listen now, savings in the natural is good. Got to have it. Got to have it. Got to have it. But what you sow into the kingdom is everlasting. What you sow into the kingdom, that will lay up treasures in heaven for you. That will get you by in moments when you dip into the, the little widow's barrel and there's only one, one measure of meal in there and it will sustain you for months and months and months and months because you have laid up treasures in heaven. Are you with me? Now, most of the people say this dark little season is going to be short. So I'm going to, I'm going to tend to lean with them. The next thing uh, we need to say, just let me just say this. Uh, I'll finish with this thought. Every, every dollar saved is a seed sown into your future. 
whether in the natural or in the spirit. Save and sow in faith, not fear. Paul said to sow that you may abound in your heavenly account. Now, believe it or not, I just told you, store all this up, right? Here's the next thing. Prepare to purchase. Prepare to purchase. We're heading into a time that is going to be so unrecognizable by any other generation. Because there's a promise that's been given to the true believer that was released a long time ago that is still waiting to happen. And how many knows that God watches over his word to perform it? He hovers over it to make sure it happens. You're going to be, you're going to have your mind blown. This is a personal thought. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm trying to just give you a direction. You're going to have your mind blown because the word tells us the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And they've held it long enough. It is time for the church to stand up and take back what rightfully belongs to the children of the Most High God. And we're going to be buying houses and lands and doing things, not so we can lavish a fancy lifestyle, so we can make a difference to change our world. We've been promised houses and land. You can find that in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the 11th verse. It says, and houses full of goods, which you did not fill, and hewn and excavated cisterns and wells, which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. You will eat and will be full and satisfied. Now, this was a promise to first century Israel, but it is also a promise to those, the wild root, the bacon breath. It is, it is also promised to the children of the Most High God. Joshua 24 and 8, and I'm, I'm done. Joshua 24, 8. I can't even tell what time it is. I'm like 20 minutes. You were right about that 40-minute thing. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived on, an, on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. The enemy has come to steal our nation, to steal our goods, to steal what God has blessed us for, the nation that, that God has a covenant with is under attack. But God is giving us the power, I believe, I believe, to bring it home and get it back. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All right, the last point of this is evangelize and to serve. We are to evangelize and to start serving. The churches aren't to be pretty places where we can build something that the city envies because it's such a wonderful venue that the city wants to rent it. That's not our purpose. Our purpose 
is to serve one another and the world and evangelize the message of Christ. Most people in the church want to serve where, when, and how they want to. <laughs> That's not serving. That's reigning. That's reigning. That's not you being a servant. That's you being a king. It is time for humility to find its way back into the American church. It is time to serve when asked to serve where needed and to serve as unto the Lord. Serving in humility is going to prepare you for what is coming. Pastor Colleen and I are in the position we're in because we learned how to serve. You don't see a lot of that today because we have so many of you empowered. You're doing so much of the work that you don't see our hands on a lot of things right now. But we understand where you are and what you've done and how you got to where you are. And the church has got to get rid of its self-centeredness and get back to God-centeredness. I want you to get armed for victory through avenging prayer, taking the enemy to task over what has been perpetrated upon the church and upon the nation. We need to pull down every lie and every mindset and every stronghold in our individual lives and our churches and the government, and the societal construct of our world around us. It is time for us to grab the devil by the nape of the neck and throw that punk out. And be sure that you start every prayer by starting first Praying for the peace of Israel. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That prayer has blessing attached to it. Start your prayers there. Then move in to the other things God's laid upon your heart.